This evening, we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled 2 Kings. As you open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 12, I want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help you to remember that the tribes of Israel have been divided into two kingdoms. There was the southern kingdom of Judah, which included the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And then the northern kingdom of Israel included the rest of Israel's tribes. And I should also remind you that it was during the days of the prophet Elisha when the Lord raised up a man named Jehu. And Jehu was raised up to punish the house of Ahab for all of his wicked ways. And it was at that point in time when Jehu killed Ahab's son Joram, who at that point in time was the king of Israel. And not only that, but Jehu also killed Ahab's grandson, Ahaziah, who was the acting king of Judah. Sadly, Ahaziah's mother, Athaliah, uh, she, she, I'll remind you, was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, she saw the death of her son as an opportunity to claim the crown of Judah for her own. And so uh, she set out to murder all of the royal heirs, including uh, the sons of her son, Ahaziah. And, and thankfully, Ahaziah's sister saw what was happening. She, her name was Jehosheba. She, she then took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, stole him away from among the king's sons, who at that moment were being murdered, uh, and, and, and this boy was raised in the house of the Lord for six years. Then when Joash was seven years old, the high priest of Israel organized a, a group of soldiers there in Judah to seize Athaliah uh, so that she could be punished for her treasonous act against the royal heirs of Judah. Though she was sitting on the throne of Judah at that point in time, uh, they overthrew her reign. And it was also on that same day when Joash then became the crowned king of Judah at the age of seven. Well, now here we are in our text tonight, and we find Joash, he's learning how to lead the people of God according to the instructions that he was receiving from the high priest of Israel. And as we make our way through our text tonight, we're going to consider the importance of seeking biblical instructions for life's important decisions. And not only that, but we're also going to consider the importance of accomplishing the instructions that we receive so that we can become believers who are able to finish the race that has been set before us. Well, with this as our outline, let's turn our attention now to the events that unfold here in 2 Kings chapter 12. If you would look with me there, we'll begin reading at verse 1. Here we learn that it was in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now, uh, here in these verses, we find a bit of a thumbnail description of Joash's life. And according to this summary, it was seven years after Jehu was raised up to become the king of Israel that Joash then, who was also known here as Jehoash, he became the king of Judah. And, and just to be clear about these names, Joash is just a shortened version of Jehoash. Both names literally mean given by Jehovah. We also learn that Joash reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem. And while it's true that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, well, it's also true that his life ended up being cut short by some of his servants who we'll see later on in this text set out to murder him. And as we continue to make our way through this chapter, we're going to consider one possible reason for why the Lord allowed this insurrection. But before I get too far ahead of myself, I, I want to uh, draw back uh, your attention to, to verse 2 there. Here we learn that Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord 
all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. Now, we should notice here that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days, not in which he lived, but all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. I I like the way that the scholars who gave us the Christian Standard Bible rendered this verse. Here's how they put it. Throughout the time the priest Jehoiada instructed him, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. Or more simply put, King Joash did what was pleasing to the Lord whenever he was seeking biblical instruction from the high priest of Israel. And in light of his example, I would simply encourage everyone here tonight to seek biblical instructions from the high priest of Israel so that we can make decisions that are right in the eyes of the Lord. And with this as our goal, if you would hold your place here in 2 Kings, I'd like you to consider something with me, something that the psalmist wrote in the 119th Psalm. If you would hold your place here in 2 Kings, and let's turn to the 119th Psalm. As you make your way to Psalm 119, I want to take a moment to remind you that the Lord Jesus is our heavenly high priest. So Jehoiada was the high priest of Israel at that point in time, but now Jesus is our heavenly high priest. He's the one who has offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, those who want to receive biblical instructions from the high priest of Israel, well, we don't need to go all the way to Israel to to, to speak to the high priest. No, No, we should simply prayerfully open the word of God so that we can receive biblical instructions from the high priest who is currently interceding for us there in heaven. Now, as we consider the instructions of this high priest uh, that we know as Jesus, I want to consider how the psalmist puts it here in the 119th Psalm. If you would look with me there, we'll begin reading at verse 97. There at verse 97, the psalmist declares, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, here in these verses, we find the psalmist, he's helping his audience to understand that those who want to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, we must look to the light of the Lord's word. We must look to God's word for for an understanding of his commandments and his precepts and his judgments and and all of these teachings that we find throughout the scriptures, they're designed to help us to know what path is before us. The word of God helps us to see clearly the path that is before us. And as we're running this race, we have to understand that we're running in a dark world. I don't know if you've ever been out, you know, running on a trail at, at nighttime. It's difficult. It's difficult if you can't see what's in front of you. And the word of God is the lamp that we need to light the path before us so that we can run the race that is set before us. We need to receive the biblical instructions of God's word from the high priest, Jesus Christ. And much like Joash, who, uh, who was seeking the spiritual wisdom from Israel's high priest, it's, under, it's important to understand that we receive the wisdom that we need so that we can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord as we open God's word and prayerfully seek the wisdom of our high priest. 
Conversely, those who make decisions based on their own feelings, those who uh, just look to their gut to, to lead them uh, you know, through this dark world, well, they always end up making decisions which are at best foolish and at worst destructive. This is precisely the point that James was, was making in the first chapter of his epistle. It's there where James encourages us to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls and be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Christian, listen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The foolish person goes with their gut feeling on every single situation and issue and decision. It's however they feel about it. Their God is their belly and they listen to their own desires. But he who wants to be wise must heed the counsel of our high priest, Jesus Christ. And as we heed his counsel, we become wise. Therefore, let's seek the word of God so that we can receive the instructions that we need from, from the high priest of Israel and then he'll give us his word and he'll, he'll help us to understand the path that he's placed before us. Let's become doers of the word so that we can walk in the light of God's wisdom. Now, in order to further grasp the importance of becoming doers of the word, let's make our way back to 2 Kings chapter 12. I want to pick up our study there at verse 4. Here we learn that Jehoash said to the priests, all the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, or however you say that, uh, and, and let them repair the damages of the temple uh, wherever any dilapidation is found. Now, uh, here in these verses, we find Joash... <clears throat> He's reallocating the financial offerings that were being brought to the house of the Lord. And just to be clear, uh, we should notice again that this included each man's census money. The census money, well, this was the half shekel each Israelite older than the age of 20 had to pay each and every year. Every year they would bring a half shekel uh, to pay for this census. This also included each man's assessment money. This was essentially a property tax, which was based on a personal assessment of, of each individual's uh, property and value. Uh, thirdly, then, there, there was the money that each man purposed in his heart to bring to the house of the Lord. The, uh, these were the free will offerings that, that, that were over and above the required tithes. If, if somebody had it in their heart to just bring more than, than, than what the Lord was requiring of them, uh, this was uh, that, that, uh, that, that money that had been purposed in their own heart. And as we consider these three categories of financial gifts that, that a man might bring to the temple, uh, it's sad to say that the priests of Israel, they don't seem to be using these offerings to maintain the house of the Lord. The, this was a fact that Joash was well aware of because I'll, I'll remind you, he actually spent six years of his childhood hidden there in the priestly apartments at the temple. So, so technically he kind of grew up in the house of the Lord. And it was there where he became aware of the fact that the temple compound was in much need of repair. Uh, simply put, the priests, they were taking care of their, their spiritual responsibilities, but they were failing to make necessary repairs on the facility itself. It's for this reason that he instructed the priests of Israel to use the money that they were collecting in the treasury 
and to, to use it for the purpose of repairing the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation uh, was found. In light of this, we must not fail to recognize the practical purpose for why every Christian has been called to present their offerings uh, here at their fellowship of faith. And with this as our focus, hold your place here in the book of 2 Kings. And let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, as you make your way to 2 Corinthians 9, I want to take a moment to point out that the Christian church is no longer under the Old Testament law of the tithe. This is something that I think a lot of Christians are confused about. There are many pastors who teach the tithe and, and place uh, the church back under this Old Testament law. And I'm here to tell you, we are no longer under the tithe. At the same time, it's also important for us to realize that the Lord is calling every Christian to support the work of the ministry with financial gifts and offerings. And I want to consider how Paul addresses this here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 7, here Paul declares, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding th uh, through many thanksgivings to God. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's helping the Christians there in Corinth to understand that the Lord was the one who was actually providing them with their income. And we tend to think about, you know, well, I go to work and I, I put in the hours and, you know, I went to school and acquired the skills and all these sorts of things. And we tend to think that, you know, I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps and, I, and I'm accomplishing this work and be careful. Because every skill that you have is a gift from God. Uh, your abilities, your, 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 you know, your, the, the, the ability to think and, and get up and, and do your job, and this is all a gift from God. The job that you have, God provided you. And, and it's important to understand this because, listen, the, the Lord is the one who gives us every good gift. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so before we start thinking that, well, my money is my money, I just would remind you that your money is God's money. And he's just entrusting you to, to, to hold on to it for him. And, and it's important for us to understand that the Lord was allowing the Christians there in Corinth to take part in the ministry by financially supporting the saints who were called into full-time ministry. This, of course, includes all the costs of the ministry, which here in this day and age, it, 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 it covers the, the maintenance of the facility where we meet together and worship the Lord. And, and you might not know this, but listen, the offerings that are collected here at Calvary South Austin, they provide us with the money that's necessary for the rent of this facility as well as the electricity that keeps the lights on and, and the upkeep of the facility. As I mentioned in our announcements, there's going to be a, a carpet cleaning party coming up here pretty soon. And, and you know, that, that's upkeep on the building. There's costs involved. Every cost associated with the administration of this service is paid for by us. The money that the Lord has given to us. 
with all this in mind, it's crucial, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that the Lord then is calling every believer to give cheerfully so that together we can maintain the work of the ministry here at our fellowship of faith. And while I'm not here to tell you how much you ought to be giving, and I'm certainly not going to place you under the Old Testament uh, law of the tithe, uh, you know, I, I don't believe in that at all. That's Old Testament, that's law. We're under grace, therefore we ought to be engaging in grace giving. But if the law says 10%, how much would grace tell us to give? Again, I'm not here to tell you how much you should give. I don't even know what you give. I don't look at the, the numbers. I, you know, we, We've got an accounting team who takes care of all of that, and I just look at high-level stuff. I have no idea how much you give. That's not my place. I'm just here to tell you that the Lord is calling us to be generous givers. The Lord is calling us to take the money that he's given us, take a portion of it, and give it back to him in support of our, uh, our ministry here at Calvary South Austin. And so, uh, you know, while I'm not here to tell you how much you, you should give, I would encourage you to consider the principle that Paul is presenting here in 2 Corinthians. And with this in mind, let's look again here at 2 Corinthians 9. I want to back up a few verses to verse 6. Let's consider how Paul kind of kicks this off here in verse 5, I'm sorry. Uh, there in verse 5, he says, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, <clears throat> Here in these verses, we find Paul, he's helping the Christians there in Corinth to understand that the fruit of their ministry would only be as bountiful as their individual generosity. So don't get it twisted here. Don't, don't start thinking that, well, if I give, then I'm going to get more back. You know, well, yes and no. Uh, because there's a lot of churches out there who will say, well, if you just, you know, if you plant your seeds into this ministry, then, then God's going to give you a hundredfold of equal kind back. If you give $10 here, then you're going to get $100 back. And if, if you give $100 here, then you'll get $1,000 back. And no, I, I don't buy that at all. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I think he's saying, hey, as far as the ministry that you can accomplish there at your church, hey, as generous as you are, will be reflected in the fruit that comes from that generosity. In other words, the more money that we're giving here at Calvary South Austin, the more we're going to be able to accomplish in the name of Jesus Christ. And the more we accomplish for Christ, the more fruit we're going to bear, resulting in everlasting rewards. If you want to accomplish more ministry here at this church, then let's bring more money in and let's use that money for the glory of God as we set out to serve our Savior together. And with that being the case, I simply encourage every Christian to realize that the finances that the Lord is providing for this church, it's in your bank account and it's in my bank account. That's what the Lord is doing. He's allowing us to work and make money so that we can then take that money and use it for his glory through the ministry of the church that he's called us to be a part of. Therefore, it's crucial for every Christian to prayerfully seek the instructions of our high priest so that then we can become those generous gift givers as the Lord leads us to give. And then as, as we give together and collect these funds together, we use this money for the work of the ministry that God has called us to accomplish. And in this way, we're running the race that he's set before us. And not only are we called to give with a, a cheerful and a generous heart, but we're also called to serve the Lord according to uh, the commands of our king. And with this as our focus, let's make our way back to 2 Kings chapter 12. 
gospel. I want to pick up our study beginning there at verse 6, because here we read, Now it was so by the 23rd year of King Jehoash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Jehoash called Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now, therefore, do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. Now, uh, these verses are a little bit confusing. And in order to clear it all up, I should first point out that we we really can't say for certain when Joash first instructed the priests of Israel uh, that they were responsible for repairing repairing the house of the Lord. We don't know exactly when in his, uh, you know, in his reign uh, that he came along and said, hey, it's time to start repairing the house of the Lord. We don't really know that. But what we do know is that it was 23 years after he was crowned king that he felt the need to come back and say, hey, why is this taking so long, guys? You know, so, so it's my guess that, you know, he kind of instructed them to, to, to start repairing the temple at the beginning of his reign. And if that's the case, then it was 23 years later and the carpets still weren't clean. <laughs> you know, the, the building was still in disrepair. You know, the, there was still stuff falling apart there at the temple compound. And so 23 years later, he's just kind of like, okay, guys, what gives? I mean, I mean, I know that, you know, building projects take a long time, but this is ridiculous. And so it was at that point in time when he stepped in to manage this restoration project uh, by challenging uh, the high priest Jehoiada uh, to, to kind of tighten things up in, in, in his ability to, to delegate responsibilities. And, and, and if I had to guess why this was taking so long, then it's probably due to the fact that the priests of Israel were struggling because, number one, uh, they had priestly responsibilities that they were required to take care of each and every day. Not only that, but it's also my guess that these priests weren't really skilled in, in doing this sort of work. You know, these guys had, had, had grown up being priests. They, they learned how to take care of their religious re- uh, responsibilities. And so they, they weren't skilled uh, as carpenters or masons or, or, or these sorts of, uh, of jobs. Not only that, but they, they weren't being directed to delegate these responsibilities to, the, to those who knew how to accomplish the tasks. And so they were just kind of in this stalemate of, well, we don't really know what to do about this. And we're not asking anybody else to come in who knows what, you know, how, to, how to repair these things. And, and it's for this reason that King Joash finally steps in and tells the high priest, hey, it's time to bring in skilled laborers who are able to accomplish the work. And with this in mind, let's consider the way that Jehoiada employed the skilled artists of Israel to accomplish the command of the king. If you would look with me there, we'll pick up at verse 9. Here we learn that Jehoiada, the, the priest, took a chest bored a hole in its lid and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave the money which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to masons and stonecutters and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord and for all that was paid out to repair the temple." Now here in these verses, we find the high priest, he's now uh, under, the, uh, under the advisement of the king, he's now seeking out the skilled laborers 
who were actually able to accomplish the task. In this way, the priests could continue to accomplish their priestly responsibilities while the carpenters and the masons and the stonecutters were able to work on this restoration project and therefore everyone is able to accomplish uh, what they're uh, you know, able to do. In light of this, it's important for us to understand that uh, every single one of us here tonight has a skill set which can actually be used here at Calvary South Austin, all for the glory of God. And this is precisely the point that Paul was making in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's there where he declares, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, that would be kind of freaky, right? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Christian, listen, Paul is comparing the church to a body. And a body has many members, and all these members have different functions. And, and listen, tonight we came in, most of us used our feet to walk in, but, but you know, we're no longer using our feet right now. No, we're using our eyes to read the Bible. We're using our ears to listen to the study. Each member of our body has its function. And it's important for the body to function properly. It's in, a, it's in a spiritual way that every Christian here at Calvary South Austin uh, has been called to be a unique part of the body. And in order for this church to function properly, we must all be here and we must all be doing our part. Some of us are called to teach. Others are called to clean. Some are called to serve on the praise team. Others are called to, to serve in the greeting ministry. There are those who help maintain our facility and, and those who help with, uh, with hospitality. And, and all of these various ministries are, are important for making this church what it is. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord has a place for every person to use the natural skills that we've uh, developed as well as the spiritual gifts that we've received. And, and as we all begin to serve uh, in the capacity that we can, together we make our church a fully functioning fellowship of faith. And with that being the case, I encourage every Christian to step up and serve at least in some capacity, even in the smallest way of showing up and helping clean carpets. It can be that simple. Not only that, but listen, it's also important for us to become faithful servants who, who can be counted on at every moment. And, and with this as our focus, let's pick up our study of Second Kings here. Uh, I want to draw your attention back to 2 Kings 12, beginning at verse 13. Here we read, however, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver uh, from the money brought into the house of the Lord, but they gave it to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to workmen for they dealt faithfully. Here in these verses, we learn that the skilled laborers who were tasked with the responsibility of restoring the temple, they were faithful to accomplish the work. And not only were they faithful to accomplish the work, but they were also faithful with the finances that had been entrusted to them. They weren't just taking the money and running. You know, they weren't just like modern contractors who were just kind of like, hey, thanks for the cash, see you later. No, they took the money and used it for the, the, the restoration project. Now, the Hebrew word, which is rendered faithfully there at the end of verse 15, 
It's used of those who were faithful to fulfill their promises. In other words, if they said something, they did it. They were true to their word. Therefore, those blue-collar workers who were raised up to restore the temple, they were completely faithful to fulfill the service that they were called to. In light of their example, I would encourage every believer to realize that if you want to run the race well, it means being faithful. It means being faithful with what you've received. It means being faithful with the gifts that you've been given to use them according to the calling of the Lord. And listen, the Lord is calling every person to faithfully fulfill the ministry that he's calling us to accomplish. And so regardless of whether we're talking about the position of senior pastor or, or, or the maintenance ministry or anything in between, we should all be faithful to fulfill our calling in Christ. We should say what we mean and mean what we say. And when we commit ourselves to something, we should do everything we can to be faithful to that commitment. We should also consider how the Lord continued to provide for the priests as they set out to accomplish their religious responsibilities. If you would look with me there at verse 16, here we learn that the money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priests. Now, uh, here in this verse, we see how the Lord continued to provide for the priests of Israel by allowing them to take the trespass offerings as well as the sin offerings that the people were presenting to the Lord. And, and, and they, they continued to take that money and use it uh, to, to pay for uh, the, the, the food and the, and the clothing and everything that the priests needed. What this means is that the finances that were used for the restoration project didn't alter the income that the priests were earning as they set out to serve the Lord there at the temple. And in this way, we can see how the Lord was continuing to provide for his people uh, who had been called into full-time ministry and, and as, as well as the Lord was providing for the restoration pro project as well. This reminds me of something that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. There he asks, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Here we find Paul, he's pointing back to, to the priesthood and, he, and he's reminding the, the people there in Corinth about the way that the, the priest there in Israel uh, actually earned a living from full-time ministry. They were there at the temple engaging in full-time ministry and so they ate food from the temple. They, they, they received their, their payment from the offerings that were brought to the temple. And he's pointing at that and saying, well, it's kind of like, you know, what's going on today where uh, the, the people who are showing up and being fed the word of God ought to be financially supporting those who are teaching in full-time ministry capacity. The Lord provides for his full-time ministers through the offerings that are brought together um, from every Christian. With that, I would just say I, I'm, I'm truly grateful. I, I really am. I'm grateful for how the Lord uses this body of believers to financially support the staff of this church. And, and I would just say, Brenda and I are truly grateful for the fact that, that you, you know, are coming and giving money so that you know, we can have this beautiful church and this, this wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord in this way. It's my prayer that we'll all continue to be faithful, to glorify God with the treasures that he's committed into our hands. And, and at the same time, it's important to understand that it's so often that Christians fall away from, from this faithfulness. And in order to understand my concern, let's pick up our study of 2 Kings chapter 12. 
I want to focus your attention on verse 17 where we learn that Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Haziel set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Now, let's stop right here because I want to point out that, that the king of Syria here is now attacking Jerusalem. He's invading the kingdom of Judah. And, and it's important to understand that the Lord is the one who was raising him up to do this. In order to understand why, we should back up and revisit something that we saw in the beginning of this chapter. If you would look with me back at verse 2, here we're reminded of the fact that Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Here in these verses, we see how Joash, he continued to make room for the idolatry of the people. He was doing what was right in, in the eyes of the Lord so long as Jehoiada was giving him instructions to, uh, you know, to, to follow the, the, you know, the word of God, but, but he didn't take everything out. He didn't take all of the, the, the high places out. And it's sad to say that this was the chink in the armor that eventually be, became uh, his path to backsliding. And what's even worse is things got so out of control that it resulted in, in his uh, untimely death. As a matter of fact, it's in Second Chronicles 24. You can read it for homework. It's there where we learn that it was after the death of Jehoiada, so the high priest died. It was after his death when the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. He stopped listening to Jehoiada. He stopped listening to the instruction of the high priest, and he began to listen to the leaders of Judah. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God uh, of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. The ones that he left up on the high places, he, he went up and started, you know, worshiping these idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. The Lord sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus, Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. Here we learn that Joash, the king of Judah, killed the son of Jehoiada, the high priest, because he didn't like being rebuked. He'd become too proud to listen to the high priest of Israel. As a result, the Lord raised up the Syrian army to invade the land of Judah and they came in and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among uh, the people. Then rather than repenting, rather than returning to the Lord, rather than recognizing that, that, that he was so far off base that the Lord is raising up Syrians to come in and punish them, uh, rather than doing all the right things, King Joash took it upon himself to attempt to appease the king of Syria. And in order to prove my point, let's turn our attention back to 2 Kings chapter 12. Uh, look with me there at verse 18. Here we read, And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated and his own sacred things and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord in the, in the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. 
In other words, Joash here decides to take it upon himself to appease the king of Syria. And he does this by taking the treasures that had been given to the Lord, treasures that his father and his father's father and his great-grandfather, they had given these treasures to the Lord, had committed it into the hands of the Lord. He takes all these treasures out of the temple and he gives it over to King Hazael so that the king of Syria might leave him alone. He attempts to appease the king of Syria rather than turning to the Lord, rather than returning and repenting and saying, Lord, you defeat the enemy for us as you promised. No, he took it upon himself to pay off this king with the treasures that belong to the Lord. And it's sad to say that the church is actually filled with Christians who are attempting to appease the enemy in a similar sort of way. You know, we're, we're so quick to hand over the treasures of the Lord in an attempt to appease the enemy. Christian, listen, if you've been giving your treasures to the king of Syria with the hope that he might leave you alone, trust me when I say he won't. He might go away for a season, but he'll just be back for more. Don't take the treasures that God has committed into your hands and then turn it over to the enemy. Please trust me when I tell you that the only real solution to every attack of the enemy is to repent of any backsliding and return to the Lord. Sadly, Joash continued to turn his back on the Lord until the day when his servants rose up against him and killed him. As a matter of fact, look with me there beginning at verse 19. Here we read now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the Milo, which goes down to Silla. For Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants, struck him. So he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then, then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Here in the final verses of this chapter, we learn about the tragic end of King Joash. And it's sad to say that Joash was a king who failed to finish well. Oh, he began well. You know, at the, at the, at the beginning of his race, you know, as soon as that starting gun sounded, I mean, he was off and running well. And the reason why is due to the fact that he was humble enough at that point in his life to receive the instructions of Israel's high priest. And as long as he was listening to Israel's high priest, he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But then came the day when he stopped listening. Then came the day when he no longer wanted to hear what the high priest of Israel had to say. He stopped listening to the Lord and instead he started listening to the idolaters who were still living there in the land of Judah because he had allowed the high places to remain. As a result, Joash also embraced the idols of the people, which not only caused him to give up the treasures of the Lord, but it also caused him to lose his life at the young age of 47. Now, as we consider the way that he failed to finish his race well, I'd like to compare the end of his life to the end of Paul's life. You see, it's in 2 Timothy 4 where Paul kind of, you know, shares what's on his heart, you know, towards the end of his life. And it's in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 where Paul speaks to Timothy and says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Christian, listen. The Lord 
wants us to finish well. It's not enough to start well. We need to finish well. And I remember as a new believer just being super excited about the Lord. And, and I remember talking to this guy who, who, you know, was a seasoned saint. And, 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 you know, and I was just sharing what I was learning, you know, at that point in time, just, just, just fired up about it. And, and, and after I kind of just shared what was on my heart and what, what I've been learning, uh, this seasoned saint, you know, with, with just complete sobriety just goes, you know what? It's not how high you jump. It's how straight you walk when you land. And it just kind of hit me that, yeah, I mean, I can be fired up right now, but, you know, how am I going to be in 20 years when the excitement of, of, of coming to Christ is no longer here and I'm being tempted, you know, by things to turn this way or that? It's awesome to be super excited about the Lord Jesus when we first come to Christ, but the question is how faithful will we remain as we continue to move forward in faith? It's not enough to start well. The Lord wants us to also finish well. Therefore, rather than giving room for the idolaters of this world to come in and influence us to turn this way or that, I encourage every Christian, let's continue seeking the instructions of Israel's high priest, which are found here within the word of God. Then as we see what God's word says, don't walk away and forget what you heard. Instead, let's be doers of God's word and not hearers only. And as we become doers of the word, then we too, like Paul can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.